0: Matthew chapter 1, we're going to be doing a little introductory uh, background work here on this passage this morning, and what I desire for the Holy Spirit to do for us is to really put ourselves in the place of Mary and Joseph. If you're a man, I would suggest you putting yourself in the place of Joseph. If you're a lady, suggesting, of course, to put yourself in the place of Mary. This is really an astonishing narrative that we have here before us. And we're going to read Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. But our text this morning is only going to be the first two verses here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, Plan to send her away secretively. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Why did Joseph keep her a virgin until she gave birth? Well, he did that because of what the prophecy said. The prophecy did not say a virgin shall be with child only, but that a virgin would be with a child and a virgin shall bear a what? Son. In other words, he kept her a virgin because of the prophecy. And that speaks something of Joseph, doesn't it? We've opened up this book of Matthew And it really appears on the scene after 400 years of prophetic silence. And what it declares is this, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah King, that will bless all nations with His salvation. And we are recipients as Gentile people of that great blessing. Matthew's going to begin his book with his earthly descent. You'll see there in verse 1 the record of the genealogy or the genesis of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. His earthly descent from Abraham through David is given in verses 2 through 16. That earthly descent is in contrast to His divine descent that begins in verse 18 and what we read this morning. Now the birth or the genesis of Jesus Christ, that phrase is the exact same Greek phrase as in chapter 1 verse 1. Now the genesis of Jesus Christ was as follows. Verses 18 and following, answer or explain verse 16 of this chapter. It says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom? And hopefully you wrote, got a little line from the phrase by whom, referring to who? Joseph or Mary? Referring to Mary. Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So what we've done is we have an original Genesis, the first Adam, Genesis chapter 1, that progressed from perfection to ruin. And we are living in that ruin, a ruin that is getting worse by the day and by the year. Jesus came as the second Genesis, the second Adam. And all those who are in Christ have been translated from the ruin of this world, the kingdom of darkness, into the new Genesis, the kingdom of God. That kingdom is not yet present on earth. We're still praying for it, right? Pray this way. Thy kingdom come. That kingdom will come on earth and it will reign for a thousand years and ultimately there will be a new heavens and a new earth wherein only dwells righteousness. And all who are in Christ will be in that new heaven and in that new earth. You have this explanation of verse 16, the seed of, of not Joseph, but the seed of a woman, in fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Here is the explanation, beginning in verse 18. Now the genesis of Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah, was as follows. His mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit, and Joseph, her what? Her husband. He's never referred to as the father of Jesus. He's always referred to as Mary's husband. Some of you men feel that way, right? In your, in your homes, you're always your, well, your wife's spouse. But here it is, different circumstances. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretively. Who are these people? Who are Mary and who are Joseph? Well, if you turn to Luke chapter 2, what you'll find is that this family... Mary's family, I'm talking about specifically at this point, lived in a home that was saturated with Scripture. And they lived in a home that was full of obedience to what the Lord has instructed. You'll notice in Luke chapter 2 that when Mary comes and Elizabeth greets her, and she gives what is called the Magnificat, Verses 46 through verse 55, and she begins by saying, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave." And she goes on. Every verse in what Mary has said is a reference to the Old Testament. Specifically to the prayer of Hannah as she gave birth to Samuel. Now you could argue that she didn't know all of these passages and she really wasn't that versed in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit just gave that to her on the spot and she just said it without thinking. But that is not normally how the Holy Spirit functions. Mary was a Psalm 1 woman. She meditated in the law of the Lord day and night. And when she was filled with the Holy Spirit... What came out of her is what she had treasured in her. And the Holy Spirit put together these passages that she was familiar or had meditated on, put together those passages, and she exalted the Lord in all the great things that He has done and that He was doing to her and what He would do through the Messiah. You'll see in Luke 2, Verse 51, you have a lot of verbs on what he's going to do. He's going to scatter. Verse 52, he's going to bring down. He's going to exalt. He's going to fill the hungry with good things. Verse 53, he's going to send away the rich empty-handed. Verse 54, he's going to give help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He's going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. She's filled with this word that she had treasured and meditated in her heart all her days. If you go in back to verse 42 of this same chapter, Elizabeth cries out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Verse 45, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord, not just the fulfillment of what Gabriel has said, but the fulfillment of all the messianic promises through the baby that she was going to give birth to. She lived in a home that was saturated with scripture and obedience. And as I mentioned before, just think about Joseph. Here he is, he's confused, he's perplexed, his betrothed wife is now pregnant And she says to him, "Now, I just want you to know that I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What would you think, men?" And he's perplexed, and he's in anguish. And an angel comes and gives him Isaiah chapter seven, verse fourteen. And Joseph was so familiar with that passage that he accepted it, and he obeyed it. He kept her a virgin until she was. Until she gave birth. And of course, the implication there is that Mary did not remain a virgin all of her life, but that after Jesus was born, they did come together in marital relationships, and we know from other passages that they had other children. All in contrast to what has been taught by the Roman Catholic Church through all these years. They lived in a home that was saturated with Scripture and obedience. And they were righteous not by their works, but they were righteous by the mercies of God. They knew that they were sinners. They knew that they deserved nothing. And into this potential home, was going to be born Christ the Lord. What a gift to that lady. In Luke chapter 2, if you go back to verses 22, you'll see that even Zacharias was there and he gave an amazing thing when... John the Baptist was born. He was unable to speak. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them. And he went back to his house. And then when John the Baptist was born, what happened? He could speak. And he exalted God for all that he has done. How could he exalt God? How could he quote those passages to the Lord? Only if he was saturated with them. So they were raised very familiar with the Old Testament passages. Their extended family, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they also were very familiar with the passages. And here Mary is to become the mother of Jesus. That had to have been perplexing to her. This had never been on the face of the earth. You have a prophecy, right? You never think that it's going to be you. And you might have not even thought about the implications of what would happen through that. How could that happen? And here Mary is, as we go back to Luke chapter 1 and look back at what we read, here Gabriel comes and he says to her, verse 31, You are God favored. This is how you are favored. Verse 31, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Well, ladies, what would be your next question? Your next question would be, how could this be? How could this happen? Which is exactly what she says in verse 34. This can't be... Joseph and I have not come together in marital relations. I'm still a virgin. How can this happen? I mean, folks, when Isaac was born, Sarah, her womb was restored to life. And God used Abraham to come to Sarah and they gave birth, right? When Elizabeth was old and her womb was restored to her, Zacharias came to her and they bore forth John the Baptist. So if you had any, any sense of the Old Testament, you're like, well, how is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin and Joseph and I are only betrothed together and we've not come together yet. How, how in the world is this going to occur? <coughs> and the angel says to her, verse 35 of Luke 1, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Now, I don't mean to be blasphemous, but I do want to say this. That passage is not teaching that God impregnated Mary. There is teaching out there that does teach that. This is a new creation. This is like the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters and then God what? God said, let there be. And there was light. Let there be. And there was the dry ground. Let there be, and there were animals on the face of the earth. The Holy Spirit, as it were, hovered over Mary, and the Word came forth, let there be a body in that womb. And you know what happened? And it was so. It was the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High causing this to be. And because this was a creation of God, this was not of Joseph, this was a direct act of God, that holy child, that sanctified child, that body that was set apart for the Son of God to enter. That body set apart for future death. That body, that person, will be called the Son of God. Can you imagine what Mary was thinking? And you have to love her response. And her response was illustrative of her heart. Mary just said, verse 38, okay, behold, I'm going to put it in today's vernacular, I am the Lord's. And I am his handmaid, I am his bond slave, I am possessed by him. May it be done to me according to your word. That's a sharp contrast to Zacharias, right? Who questioned and became mute because he would not believe the word that the angel had given to him. What we have here is more than likely a young girl around 14 years of age. Historically they could be engaged, betrothed as early as 12. They were betrothed for a year. So somewhere around 14 years of age, here's this woman a true woman of God, wouldn't you say that? A Psalm 1 woman loves the Lord. Sinner? Yes. God did not do this because of her righteousness. He chose her. And He favored her to be part of His Foretold plan. Every Jewish woman dreamed of giving birth to the Messiah. And this woman, Mary, was chosen for that purpose. Amazing, isn't it? And folks, it really shouldn't surprise you that Mary gave a lot of thought to this. Would you, ladies? How did this happen? Would it happen? When is it going to happen? What would it be like? She pondered all these things. I'm sure she reviewed Genesis 3.15. I'm sure she reviewed the Abrahamic covenant. I'm sure she reviewed the Davidic pro- the, the promises. I'm sure she reviewed the history, the genealogy, I'm sure she pondered all those things and things that you and I would not even think about. This God-blessed person named Mary. So they grew up in a home saturated with the Bible. That's a gift. They grew up with a life of obedience and expected obedience. What a gift. And the Lord's hand was upon Mary for all the nations good. But not only on Mary, God favored Joseph. Joseph, as we go back to Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is her husband He was the legal father of Jesus Christ. He was not the father of Jesus Christ. God the Father was. But he became the legal father of Christ. And the Bible says in verse 19 of Matthew 1 that he was a righteous man. That righteousness again was a righteousness that was reborn in him. There was a time when he recognized who he was as a sinful human being. But there was no way that he could keep the law of God, that he needed the grace of Christ. And he bowed his knee and submitted himself to God's righteousness. But he was a righteous man in the sense that he was working out the righteousness of God. And that was seen in his obedience to the law of God. Joseph was well aware of the laws of divorce. He was well aware of the laws of marriage. He was well aware of the need of faith and he was well aware of the need of sacrifice. And I think, and I think we'll see this, I think he was well aware of what the great commandment was. The great commandment is to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. (coughs) And the second is like it. You're to love your neighbor as who? Yourself. I think Joseph understood... that the commandment is to love God with everything and then to love your neighbor. And Mary would have been his what? His neighbor. Now, she was more than a neighbor. She would have been his neighbor, fellow human being. Mary, uh, excuse me, Joseph also understood about the Jewish ceremonial wedding. The way the Jews did it, it's different from what we're acquainted with here in American culture. <clears throat> in Jewish culture, in, in that day, a man and a woman would be betrothed or engaged. We would call an engagement. In America, you can break an engagement and people pretty much just see that as if you quit dating. But not in a Jewish wedding. In a Jewish wedding, when you were betrothed, you were married. You did not have marital rights, but you were married in the sight of God. It was a vow as serious as the vow two people take when they stand before the minister and they say the words and say, till death do we what? It's that serious. And so if Joseph and Mary are betrothed, Mary is found with child. Joseph would have thought what? Mary was unfaithful. And the law stipulated, and we'll look at this, but the law stipulated that he could put her away, meaning he could divorce her. He would give to her a writing of divorcement, even though the marriage had not been consummated yet. So here's Joseph... Understanding that the betrothal had been broken, I'm sure that he was perplexed about that. Mary was a righteous woman, godly. He would have understood that it would have required a divorce. And in fact, if Joseph and Mary, in this betrothal period, if Joseph died before the consummation... Mary would have been considered a widow. Now that doesn't happen in America, does it? She would have been a virgin widow, but she still would have been a widow. Joseph would have understood all of these workings of the law and what the law had said, and it's amazing when he is perplexed about this and he is pondering on this, you'll see that in verse 20, we'll get to this next week, but when he considered this, he was considering, now how should I divorce her because I don't want to disgrace her? An angel of the Lord appears to him and reminds him that he's the son of David. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because she's not been unfaithful. What we have is a new creation in the womb of Mary. This is of God. And she is going to bear a son, and this is how you're going to name Him. And then the angel says, verse 22, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us, and Joseph awoke. <laughs> Joseph understood the Isaiah prophecy, did he not? Now think about this. An angel appearing, quoting a verse from Isaiah, and that settled Joseph's heart about the matter. it's amazing he was as submissive to what gabriel had spoken to him as mary was to what the angel had spoken to her this speaks volumes about who we're talking about here in this passage of mary and joseph and then as i mentioned before verse 25 he keeps her a virgin because of what the prophecy said not that she would a virgin would conceive but a virgin would conceive and a virgin would bear a son she had to remain in her virginity until Christ came into the world and he obeyed that all because of what the angel had spoken in giving to Him a verse. And brethren, did Mary and Joseph obey the passage meticulously? The answer to that is yes. And brethren, I think that that in itself is a lesson for us. We love to obey the passages that are comfortable and not obey it to the letter, could I say to the letter, of what it's saying. I am sure that Joseph was a Psalm 1 man and that he pondered that verse. I'm sure he pondered every single word of that verse I'm sure that after he heard that angel I'm sure that he got back with Mary and he might have said this to her could you tell me one more time what happened and I am sure that Mary told uh, excuse me Joseph told Mary what the angel had said to her him Now, this occasion of Joseph finding out that Mary was pregnant did not happen immediately like Matthew seems to indicate. Luke says that after Mary was told and she said, Behold, have it been done to me according to the word of the Lord, at that same time she left and went to whose house? She went to Elizabeth's house And she stayed there how many months? Three months. Then she returned home. And ladies, you know that by three, four months, you begin to what? You begin to give evidence (laughs) that you're pregnant. Now Mary would have had evidence way before that, right? But after three, four months, you begin to show And that's what it means when it says that Mary was found to be with a child. It became evident that she was pregnant. And brethren, would you not say that of all the families on the face of the earth, this is one blessed home? They grew up in a blessed home. Like Noah, they found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God handpicked them before the foundation of the world to be the legal father and the mother of Emmanuel. God with us. No greater blessing. And no greater blessing for us. You'll recall that in Luke, Mary says in the Magnificent, from here on, everyone will call me what? God favored. Everyone will call me blessed. And that's true, even though it's been perverted by an apostate system. She is blessed, and Joseph is blessed also. But, brethren, with every blessing comes humility. In Philippians 2, I read this at the funeral. Talking about the kenosis or the incarnation of the Son of God, it says <clears throat> that He emptied Himself. He took the form of a slave. That's humbling, isn't it? He was made in the likeness of men, the Son of God, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. I don't think that we could meditate on that passage enough in the culture in which we live. He humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient. In every evangelical act of obedience, there is an evangelical act of humility associated with it. Being obedient according to the scripture will never make you proud. It will always, what? Humble you. And Jesus, even throughout all of His earthly ministry, He had to continually humble Himself to become obedient. And folks, if you think about the ultimate act, you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, was He not humbled in that garden? He had to call upon His Father. He was in anguish and torment. He was depressed in His spirit even unto death. He had to be strengthened by an angel in His humanity. And did He obey? And He had to humble Himself even further. When He was on that cross... And he said, It is finished. He humbled himself to be gripped with death. The Son of God. And death could not hold him. But he rose from the grave. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. And as I mentioned before, in the betrothal period, which was usually a year, they were married. They didn't live together, they didn't have marital obligations or relationships. But both Mary and Joseph, though they were God favored, they were profoundly humbled. (coughs) Let's think about Mary. Here's a woman, godly. Is she pure? Has she kept herself? She's done it for the Lord? Here's a young lady, totally engaged in godliness. Totally engaged in being a Psalm 1 lady. Totally engaged with a full heart to love the Lord with all of her heart and all of her mind and all of her strength. Here's a young lady that desires to do the will of the Lord. I'm sure she might have prayed what many young people pray that have been raised in Christian homes. Lord, I just want to do the will of God. Lord, would you show me the will of God? If you show me the will of God, I'll what? I'll do it. Whatever that is. And God's gift to Mary was his favor. And God's gift to Mary was humility. What would it have been like to be found with a child? before coming together with your husband? How did Joseph react? How would the family react? I'm sure that if my wife had gone to her parents and said, I'm with child, but I'm still a virgin. This is of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure her parents would have looked at her with a quizzed look, puzzled look, perplexed look. How in the world do you expect us to believe that look? What would her neighbor say? Folks, is she doing the will of God? Has she been blessed of the Lord? But with the blessing, it comes to her in a package of humility. She was not going to get proud about this. Just like the Apostle Paul praying three times for the thorn to be removed from his flesh... And God says, my strength is perfected in what? In weakness. And Paul says, the reason why God gave him that thorn was so that he would not be exalted. He would not get prideful over the great privileges that God had given to him. And brethren, genuine favor, the genuine favor of God comes to everyone in a package of humility. I don't care if it's salvation. To be saved, do you have to be humbled? Yes. Or if it's sanctification. To grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord is to grow in humility. It's not to grow in cockiness, arrogance, pride, thinking you're better than other people. And when those things happen, the truth of the matter is it hurts us. Why does it hurt us? because we have a rotten, sinful nature that is resistant to anything that is not prideful. We are most comfortable when we're walking in self-confidence. And of course, our sinful nature was the nature of the devil, and the nature of the devil is... Not humility, but pride. Mary's joy, I am sure, became intermixed with shame and grief. And this is exactly what the law states. We don't have time to turn to it, but Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 and 24 Talk about if a woman in her betrothal period is found with child, that there can be a divorce under certain circumstances. What Mary experiences here is a public shame. It will be a shame that will never leave her. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of John chapter 8. The book of John chapter 8. I remember the first time where this passage really came to my mind and it just struck me. And when it struck me, my my eyes teared because of the reality of what was being said. John chapter 8, Jesus was trying to lead to himself, Jews, who said that they believed upon him, but they would not be his disciples. They would not become followers of his word. And he says to them, John 8 verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they begin to argue with him. Verse 33, Well, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. (coughs) Jesus says, no. Verse 34, I'm talking about that you're a slave to sin. Verse 36, but if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Verse 37, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Now let's pause here. Was Abraham a believer? And was he an obeyer? He was a learner follower, was he not? Verse 40. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Now know what they say in verse 41. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. What are they saying? They're saying we were not born of fornication, but you were. were. This is why I say that Mary bore this shame of being blessed by God all the days of her life. Not only did Mary have to bear that shame, but Jesus bore it, did He not? I'm sure that wasn't the only time people brought up the fact that He wasn't born in purity. When Mary was found with child, she became a public reproach. That child from other people's perspective directly contradicted her profession of godliness. And with being favored of God, she was humbled. But Mary wasn't the only one that was humbled. Joseph, too, received God's favor and God's humility. And young people, let me just go back here. I am sure that you have prayed, Lord, show me your will for my life. And He will lead and guide you into that will. But it will be something that will not make you self-confident. It will be something that will work in you humility all the days of your life. That is truly being God-favored. Here's Joseph, meaning a young man has prayed, Lord, Show me my life's calling. Just show me my calling and I'll do it. Whatever that calling is. I think that we can be, as we're back in Matthew 1, I think we can be accurate and say that Joseph wanting to obey the will of God. Joseph wanting to obey the law. Joseph wanted to walk in righteousness. He was a righteous man. He just wanted to do what God wanted him to do. What is his calling? We know he's going to be what? What's his vocation? He's a carpenter. I'm sure that he just wanted a godly home, serve the Lord, have his favor. Lord, just show me my calling. But when Joseph's wife, Mary, was found with child, God's gift to Joseph was humility. It's a shame. It's a shame to a man to have his wife or his daughter be found pregnant with someone else's child. Right, men? It brings reproach on you. It brings reproach on your name. It brings reproach on your home. And for Joseph to hear the vision... For him to come out of that vision, do exactly what the angel commanded him right then. He didn't wait for the year. He took Mary to be his what? To be his wife. What was he doing? He was bearing her shame. Isn't that what Christ did for us? Yes or no? He is being godly, isn't he? He's taking upon himself. He could have divorced her. But he didn't divorce her. He took that shame, that public reproach of Mary, and he married her. And folks, this just wasn't Joseph and Mary, there's family involved. When two people get married, it's just not two people marrying, it's like two families coming together, right? Parents would be involved, family would be involved, the synagogue would be involved, the neighbors would be involved, and Joseph took his cross of being God-favored, and took Mary to be His wife. It kind of adds some color to the story, doesn't it? To realize that in eight verses, it's going to change their life forever. And the world will mock and the devil will attack. And Simeon himself turns to Mary and says, this child is going to be spoken against. He's going to be spoken against so that their hearts may be revealed. Now Mary, a sword is going to pierce your heart also. Amazing, isn't it? This is the blessedness of being blessed by God. Not a blessing to come to us in order to destroy us by us exalting ourselves because we've been blessed. But God is so good to give us a blessing and give us the shame and the reproach with it to humble us. Now I want to conclude by just several points I want to pull out of this passage. This is the way it's going to be. Jesus is going to be born to parents who are poor. You just think about all that goes along with that. He's going to be born to parents who are lowly in the eyes of the community. Joseph isn't making a big splash in life. In fact, we know he dies sometime. We don't know when. Because when we get to the cross, Mary's what? Mary's alone in having to give the care of Mary to John the Apostle. Jesus is going to have a mother who's accused of adultery. Jesus is going to be born in a manger with Joseph pleading for room. But there was no room. That's humbling. (coughs) To give birth to the Son of God in a cattle stall. Folks, the doing of the will of God can put us in a position of shame and reproach. But really, Mary's attitude should be our attitude. Behold, the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Brethren, are you willing to allow the New Testament promises to be fulfilled in your life? I mean all of them. Are you willing to bear the shame and reproach of being someone who is a learner follower of Jesus Christ? Mary was. Joseph was. And then we see this great thing that Joseph was a righteous man. Look at verse 19. What was the characteristic of his righteousness? <clears throat> Not wanting to what? Disgrace her. Everybody see that? He was a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her. And this is instructed for us. How does righteousness act when there has been a violation of the law? Joseph thought she had violated the law, right? How does righteousness act when there's been a violation of the law? Is there a response that would fulfill the law? In other words, someone has done something to violate the law. I'm involved with it. Is there a response to that violation that would actually fulfill the law? Because all the law is fulfilled in one word. What is it? Love. In other words, how could Joseph obey the law and manifest his love to who? To Mary. How did he do that? This is how he decided... He decided that he would do it what? He would divorce her, but he would do it what? Secretively. He would not make her, he himself would not make her a public reproach in his eyes. That's an amazing statement. Brother, knowing right and wrong is not just being able to condemn what's wrong. It's being able to acknowledge it's wrong, but responding to it to fulfill the law, to love. Is that hard? Yes. But is it righteous? <coughs> it is. Scripture says over and over that righteous people are merciful. When someone violates a law and you, only, you and I only respond purely in condemnation, it could be that we are responding in self-righteousness about it. That we're actually responding to it in a prideful way. But if a righteous person does acknowledge that the law has been violated, but they respond in mercy and compassion, They uphold the law and walk in mercy and compassion. That is a righteous person. And Jesus himself quotes Hosea 6, verse 6, when he says to the Pharisees, because they were condemning him, because the disciples were eating grains of wheat on the Sabbath day. And he said, You need to go and learn. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Brethren, we should never compromise what is written, but we should always handle it in a righteous manner as much as lies in us. Charles Spurgeon who was a Baptist pastor in the 1800s, late 1800s, said concerning this passage, concerning Joseph, he said this, When we have to do a severe thing, let us choose the tenderest manner to do it. That's really helpful, isn't it? Isn't that helpful? When we have to do a severe thing, let us choose the tenderest manner in which to do it. And folks, as we look at everything that's happening here, what you see is a gospel-saturated wedding marriage. (coughs) Is Mary submissive? Yes or no? Yes. And she exhibits it in being submissive to God. Is Joseph exerting headship and doing it in a loving way, taking Mary's reproach upon him? The answer that's what? Yes. This is the essence of a gospel saturated marriage. Each person bearing the other's reproach, each person being willing. To bear the reproach of the other one. Submission and headship all in one. Joseph laid down his life to bear the shame of Mary. Brethren, let us walk in the same spirit and in the same manner. And as we proceed through and we see exactly Jesus Christ coming into this world in the book of Matthew, let us remember that it just wasn't whistling and happy days all through the day. But it was a warfare. But they were God favored. Let's pray.